Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, Artie Morris, bird photographer extraordinaire. Plus, I'm back from Alaska and your questions. All coming up on this edition of This Week in Photography. Welcome to This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Scott Bourne, back from the hinterlands in Alaska, out of the bush. I came looking for my little buddy, Alex Lindsay. He's still not back. He's in Africa. Uh, He'll rejoin us next week. But in his absence and alongside to help me pull off today's show, we have a fine all-star cast. Uh, I believe he's checking in from San Jose, California, and the world headquarters of Adobe. He is Fred Johnson. How are you doing, Fred? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? That's the question out there running around the, the frozen tundra with your camera. I want to hear all about that. You know, being chased by a grizzly bear will bring out the Olympic sprinter and even a fat man. So, uh, <laughs> I, I made it safely. Thank you for asking. Also checking in from, uh, from my part of the world now that he's a, at least a temporary resident uh, up here in Seattle, we have Ron Brinkman. How are you doing, Ron? I'm doing great. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Aaron uh, is not sitting alongside this week because of other duties, but he prepared a great show for us. And uh, we will do our best to keep you informed and entertained about all things photography. I do want to mention that bandwidth for this week in photography is provided by Cashfly at Cashfly.com and that TWIP is sponsored by our friends at Drobo. If you'd like a discount on your next Drobo, visit www.drobo.com slash TWIP. Uh, don't forget also, uh, we have a new linking contest. And Ron, quit sending me emails to ask if you can win the link contest. The answer is no. Oh, man. There's some good <laughs> stuff in there. I want it. It's about $1,000 worth of stuff it, it, because it, it says 700 on our show notes, but it's really 1000 because Alex got a copy of Aperture and DV Mat for us. We got a RhinoSkin iPod case. A small Canon camera, gadget bag, and on one software essentials version two for Photoshop Elements. A couple of my books, an Adobe Ball Cap from uh, Fred Johnson, and Adobe Lightroom from Fred Johnson. Thank you, Fred. You're welcome. One, one uh, pair of JBL Reference 220 earphones. Those are some nice ones. And a copy of VMware Fusion for those of you that want to go onto the dark side on the world's best computer. And I don't know why you'd want to do that. But anyway. It's about a thousand dollars worth of stuff, and here's all you have to do to be eligible to win. Just link to us from your blog or website. You must be 18 years or old or resident of the United States to enter. Please don't scream at me. That's what the lawyers say. So just take a look at that and link to us. We're going to give that prize away October 30th. Now, news. We have news, and I have to admit, I haven't heard a lot of news because, well, there is none in Geographic Harbor other than an occasional crow flying by to tell you something in crow language. Uh, but but I, I'm catching up, and guys, uh, there, there seems to be, I guess this is logical since Photokina is coming, seems to be some stuff happening. Let's start with Smithsonian's Magazine's 6th Annual Photo Contest. That's now open for submissions. Um, and uh, this is, this is, there's some nice prizes in this contest in terms of being recognized by Smithsonian Magazine. We got a that's link about for as, uh, Yeah, that's, that's about as much recognition as anybody could want, I would think. Yeah, they have people from 90 countries involved in this contest, so check that out. 
and and if you are familiar with a company called Photo Shelter, it was trying to compete with iStock and a couple of the uh, other stock photography companies. It didn't make it. Photo Shelter CEO Alan Murabashi, and I hope I didn't pronounce that as badly as I think I did, has announced that the company will be closing its stock site October 10th. The archive will continue, but the, they say the claim the, they claim the stock business become too difficult, and I'm sure that iStock Photo changing the business models had some impact there. Do you guys, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? You know, you know, from from my perspective, you know, I you guys are much more of the stock shooters than I am, but I I have been watching from the sidelines this sort of shakeout in in the uh, the penny stock space, and it looks like Photo Shelter just may be the latest casualty of that overall you know Getty monster as it as it looks around and tries to figure out what the next area it wants to be in. Huh. Well, Cause, yeah, because Scott Scott Getty Getty owns iStock, correct? Getty owns just about everything on the planet. In fact, they own my tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not even going there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. And, 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 you know, the stock market has become, become completely, I mean, it's, you know, the word disintermediation is an important word to know about. Uh, middlemen from middlemen have been cut out of this thing. And, and, now this idea of user-generated stock has taken on some life, and I think there are ways to do it, obviously, since I'm involved with Trade and we're doing it. But I, I got to say, it is a risky market, and a lot of people want to get involved in photo sharing and Twittering and all the things that are hot right now. But I, I just think that uh, you, know, you can't blame all this on iStock. We, we don't know all the details, but it is important to note that if you're going to look at one of these stock sites, including the one I'm involved with, Fotrade, you do have to understand that it's risky if they're just starting up. So pay pay attention to that. So Scott, yeah, you, you go ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. Ron. I was just going to say I don't I don't think we've seen the end of uh, trying to figure out how this market is going to work. I suspect it's going to be in turmoil for quite some time. Yeah, yes. and I was going to say, Scott, you've you've seen the uh, you've been around long enough to see the uh, the tides of change in this market. So, what what were uh, you know the average photographer that's making his living, his or her living with stock? You know, say back in the heyday of stock, what were they making in contrast with what you can make today? Well, the rule of thumb in the seventies and eighties was if you had a hundred thousand images in stock, you'd make a dollar an image per year, so you make a hundred grand a year. And that, that, that was sort of the way it worked. And, and that was and about now, half a million back then, right, with the inflation factored in? Yeah, yeah today, <laughs> today's money. But those rules are completely off the table. I, there aren't any real rules. Uh, the guys that have the grandfather deals with the big stock agencies, uh, they have the best opportunity. There's, there's probably 100 guys in the world making a ton of money at stock. And then there's the new people at iStock that have come in and made that into sort of like, you know, sort of like eBayers get in there and become big retailers on eBay. There's some new people that have done that on iStock. But I I chose to build my own stock company for my stock only, and that's worked out well for me. Um, I'm now going to move some of my general ca- uh, category library over to uh, Trade because that's a little different model that pays off of advertising instead of pure licensing. But uh, yeah, I think we, I think Ron's right. We haven't seen the end of the shakeup. I think new business models are going to be here. The people that are stuck with old business models are going to fail. Let's move on. Uh, Sony announces a full-frame Alpha 900 lens. 
Uh, this is a follow-up to last week. Uh, all we can do is report the press releases we read on other sites, and Sony doesn't send us theirs. Red has uh, addressed the DSLR market. Now, I've heard rumors about this for weeks, guys. Um, Stu cites Fred in the last TWIP, so he's obviously listening. Um, there's a quote. Jim didn't say that Red is building a DSLR. He said he's making a replacement for DSLRs. Now, that is a very loaded statement. What it is <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> Do we are we looking at a video camera that's so good that it just re- obviates the need for a, a DSLR rod? I, I, I think that's exactly it. I think the you know the point they're making is that if you have a high quality, high resolution sensor that has the capabilities to do both video and stills, you know, why, why would you get anything that, that can't do both? Now, there's a lot of reasons why potentially you wouldn't. You know, there's uh, always going to be compromises, it would seem, if you're going in one direction or the other. But, you know, if you really target that market from the perspective that you're going to build a camera that's good for both, I could definitely see that being a game, game changer. And, you know, like we've talked about, Red is all about trying to be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the question is, will it end up being one of these deals where when I first heard about the red video camera, and I'm going to be the first to admit that if Alex was here, I'd ask him to talk about this because, you, you know, he knows he's forgotten more about this than I'll ever know. But, you know, it seemed like the price point was this ridiculously low price point. But then after you finally got everything you needed, it wasn't all that cheap. Is that, is that everybody else's understanding? Yeah, that is true. It's, to an extent. I mean, it's still, even if you really load it up, it's still at a better price point relative to a lot of the competition uh, you know, but what it does is it lets people get in at a lower price point and sort of figure out then you know what the extra stuff they need. But I, I think the game is much different for the DSLR market because if you're, you know, trying to, he's coming from a different direction. He's not starting cheap relative to the pros. He's actually starting expensive relative to the pros in terms of the SLR market. You can get a very good, you know, DSLR for a couple thousand dollars. So I'm not sure that he's going to have the price advantage. He, I mean, you know, Red in general are going to have as much of a price advantage. So they're going to have to be very much more about features. But you know, if if video is is the feature that people feel they want to have, then they've got a nice entry there. Well, I have to say this: um, I, there's been a bunch of buzz about the new D90. Yep, and and its video capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and for years and years, we've all asked the question, why is why is it that it all has to be this way? They've been copying the format of the old-fashioned 35-millimeter camera forever, I think, just because people have their arms around it. But there's no rule that says you can't make this completely different with all the new technology. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Now, we do have to do a little disclaimer. We're going to report that uh, Amazon owns DP Review, and Ron works at Amazon. But DP Review <laughs> has... Done a preview of Panasonic's Lumix G1. If you're interested, go check that out. Uh, DP Review, especially now that they're owned by Amazon, I might say, gets a lot more juice than Twip does about getting review cameras. People will well, send yeah, them. They, yeah, they've been, they've been big for quite a while, though. I mean, long before yeah. Amazon bought them, they were the site that I always went to as my first source of news. So, and, I, and they certainly haven't lost any of that. Well, I, have, I came to the conclusion that Phil, who's the guy that started the site, he, he lives in England or, or someplace in, in Great Britain. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't have anything to do but tear cameras apart because his reviews are the most detailed I have ever seen. Yeah, but uh, many, many, many a bodies based on, or not many a bodies, a couple of bodies based on, 
or solely on reviews from that site. It's just it's it's the de facto standard if you're in this in this area. So if you're interested in the Lumex G1, go check it out at DP. It's yeah, it's interesting because I mean that's the first of this sort of uh, four thirds uh, you know mini SLR series that's coming out. So it's it's an interest it's a very interesting camera. I think you know spec wise it's not uh, nothing revolutionary there, but just the fact that it's a small form factor camera that has interchangeable lenses is uh, you know. There's a lot to be said for that. A lot of a lot of people, myself included, sometimes like having a more compact camera, but you know would like the the ability to change lenses. But do you do you know from my perspective? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I'm if I'm in that if I'm in the SLR mode, meaning I need interchangeable lenses, I want all my horsepower with me. You know, the G9. If I'm in that mode of you know I I'm okay with the the lower quality of this point and shoot esque camera. You know, I want to be able to stick it, slick it, or stick it into my back pocket and just run around, or or my side pocket in the case of the G9. But you know, I don't know. It, I, mean, I don't know. It's just you know, it seems like you're just scaling down the bigger universe of the overall DSLR space when you could either just jump up to your quote unquote real camera or move down to your retractable lens point shoot and go that way. I well, you know, there's been a lot of great photos taken with, you know, more compact film cameras that were designed to be transportable, easy to take on the street, you know, do street photography doesn't doesn't require, you know, a big camera to lug around. I Yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. I don't think it's that that clear cut between, you know, I'm in one mode or the other. I think there's a lot to be said for having a smaller, unobtrusive camera that still has the flexibility of interchangeable lenses. I think I'm just getting old. You know, I want one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Too many variables. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say that uh, this four-thirds thing has been around for, a, we'll see, I think about a decade and it hasn't really caught on. So I'm dubious, but we'll find out. Time to move on to the site of the week. Nick Haddad wrote, Hey guys, just wanted to throw in a suggestion for the side of the week. The Boston Globe's big picture blog is amazing. I've been following it for a few months now, and they really compile some nice photos. Once again, we rely on a listener choice for site of the week. I went over and I looked at the Boston Globe big picture. I don't know if anybody else had a site. Uh, uh, I, I look at it every time, every week. Absolutely. That's awesome. Oh yeah. my gosh, is this thing, it's just incredible. Well, I, and, you know, they call it the big picture blog. And, and I think one of the things they're doing that's really great is, you know, they're not trying to serve up images that are formatted for small computers. They want to, I mean, they put up big pictures. So you go to the site and right there, you know, you've got nice big screen filling pictures on the page. They do some in-depth stuff. You know, they'll pick a subject like this most recent one is the uh, 2008 Summer Paralympics Games. And, it's a great uh, you know, too. Yeah. And they'll, and they'll put up, uh, you know, you click through that and they usually put about, I don't know, a dozen, couple dozen, I think they got 36 photos on this, this latest sort of photo essay, and, you know, great, great stuff, and they're nice and big. Yeah, I, I would love to do this, except then all the people who say, well, you put it on the internet, you deserve to have it stolen, would, uh, would yeah. chide me, so that's, I'm sorry, I'm not putting big pictures online, because uh, I, I don't want to have to pursue copyright thieves, but I do like looking at these. Yeah, it's they have a RSS feed for that's how I look at it. So whenever something new comes out, it just shows up in your RSS news feed, and you can go check out the stuff. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I think I'll, I think I'll do that too. This is a great site. Yep. Yeah, it's it, it it is the quality of photography is great, 
And uh, it is unusual to see such large pictures. So anyway, that's our site of the week. If you have a suggestion for us Twippers uh, as to a site of the week, just send us a simple email to twipphoto at gmail.com. We'll give it a look. And if we agree, we will put it into the show. And thanks to Nick Haddad for his suggestion. Time for our new Flickr challenge and current poll information. Now, I have to apologize. I was uh, in the bush country where there were no phones, (laughs) no emails, no nothing for a while, and I was not able to get the challenge up right away. So it'll be a shortened challenge, only about eight days. But the theme is decay. Now, I, I, I really don't appreciate you all modeling stuff after my age. Uh, you know, <laughs> while I'm gone, because I wasn't here to defend myself. So, uh, decay. However you want to, however you want to interpret that, and uh, you know, we'll give a prize. I think we're giving away a book from Rick Smolin, who does the Day in the Life series for this particular challenge. So, decay. Go to um, Fotrade, sign up, and participate in the contest. We have a, a link on the blog at twipphoto at gmail. Excuse me, at twipphoto.com. And once again, if you have questions, twipphoto at gmail.com. We would like to invite you to join our Flickr discussion group, more than 6,500 members. We do have some sign-up movies on the blog if you're not sure how to do that. And there's the little word help on the top of every single page of Flickr if you need help doing that. Almost 3,500 members in our critique forum, which is quite busy. I don't know if you all ever go there. I try to go in and critique at least one image a week. But, man, oh, man, it's, it's a thriving community. Have, 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 Fred, have you had time to go over there at all? I have not been in there in, in a while. It's time for me to go over there today, though. Get your butt in there. Ron, I'm how about get, you? I'm getting in there. I know, I've been bad, too. It's, uh, you know, I, I would pop in and out for a while. And uh, you know, the thing I like about it is, is it's, it's critique without being nasty. You know, it's, I mean, there's just great suggestions of uh, how people can actually improve it as opposed to just – well, that's ugly. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. We, you know, most of the things that go on here is uh, it, it's just amazing to me how nice people are in our critique forums. And every once in a while, something goes to snark, but it's almost always really good. So, thank you for uh, helping us do that. And by the way, if you're in any of our forums and you see photos or behavior that you don't consider to be appropriate. Send us an email immediately to twipphoto at gmail.com and specifically point to it. Now, we may or may not agree with you and take action, but we'd like to know if you see something you think is inappropriate. Also, the new poll. Once again, my bad because I was, you know, in a place where there are no phones, no motor cars, not a single luxury like Robinson <laughs> Crusoe, as primitive as can be. Um, you were on Gilligan's Island? <laughs> I... Uh, I was, cool. not, I was not able to update the poll, but we have updated it now. So I just, I just had this mental image of, of you building a camera out of coconuts and bamboo. I have to tell you, the whole experience was a little bit like Gilligan's Island. We were living on a yacht. Good. And, uh, and so the, you know, various maritime metaphors make sense. And some of the folks I was with remarkably resembled the cast and crew. Oh, Wait a minute, Scott. <laughs> Scott. Scott, you're saying it, it was like Gilligan's Island in that you were living on a yacht. Do you remember Gilligan's Island? <laughs> they were, well, I, I, they I, were I, roughing I, it, kind of, you know. <laughs> they yeah, weren't on the yacht. On, I, was, I was living on a very small 62-foot yacht, okay? That's, <laughs> Scott's like, it was so terrible. I had to share a yeah. bathroom with another human. <laughs> he was, he was I, on the Thurston Howell Gilligan's Island. <laughs> 
No, uh, listen, I put some pictures up on the Flickr of the yacht, and I have to admit it's a pretty nice yacht. But I'm, I was making more of a, a, um, a comparison to the maritime nature of it. Anyway, I didn't have access, but now I do. So I've got the new poll up, and it's a simple question. How old is your primary camera? How long have you owned it? And uh, less than a month, less than six months, less than a year, less than two years, two years or older. So that is the new poll. Please feel free to go over there and check it out. And if you have suggestions, by the way, for more poll questions, I'm always open to them. Sometimes we, you know, we, we have really good ideas for polls, but sometimes we're kind of scratching, you know, our ears trying to figure out what we want to do. So if, if you have some suggestions, once again, use that email, twipphoto at gmail.com. Let us move on uh, here. I have the luxury of having a, a friend named Arthur Morris. He is the world's premier avian photographer, uh, almost indisputably, certainly in the top five, but most people refer to Arthur Morris as the best. This guy takes bird pictures that will curl your toes. He's one of my mentors in that regard. Those of you who know I do a lot of bird photography. This is the guy who taught me about 70%, 75% of what I know. And uh, he was on the trip with me to Alaska, so I took the opportunity to interview him and get a little bit uh, of information about the stuff he's doing now and how he got started, get a couple of tips from him. It's a short interview, about 12, 13 minutes. But we're going to cut away to that right now, and then we'll come right back. Hi, this is Scott Bourne, and I am with Arthur Morris. He's our special guest today right here on TWIP. Arthur Morris is the world's premier avian photographer and the author of the seminal work on the subject, The Art of Bird Photography. We are very lucky to have him on the show. Thanks for coming on TWIP, Artie. How you doing, Scott? We've been having a lot of fun up here in Alaska. That's right. And uh, just to let you know the setting, we are in a boat, the Coastal Explorer 2, facing the entrance to the pristine geographic harbor where we are photographing bears and other wildlife. Artie's leading a trip up here, and uh, he let me come along, and it was a perfect opportunity for me to ask him some questions. Artie, you shoot all kinds of nature and wildlife, but birds are your real subject and what you're really known for. Would you mind telling us how you got started? Well, I was a school teacher in New York City for 23 years, and in about 1977, I started birding around New York City. 1983, August 8th, bought my first telephoto lens, and the rest is history. Now, you started first as a birder and then as a photographer. How important is it for people that do any kind of wildlife photography that they understand their subject? Well, the more you know about the subject, the better your pictures are going to be. It's pretty simple. I always said that if you take somebody who had 10 years of experience as a photographer and tried to get them to be a bird photographer, they'd have a lot of problems. If you had somebody who had 10 years' experience birding, and you put a camera in the hand, they'd be a lot better off. And I can testify to that. Uh, many of you know that I've taken a lot of bird photography, and Artie is really my mentor in that regard. And I do have a significant background as a photographer, but not one as a birder. And if it weren't for Artie's help telling me what birds are, I would never know what I'm doing. Now, you lead, you lead workshops like the one we're on right now all over the country, Artie. Whoa, tell us a little bit about those and what the impetus for that was. Well... I wanted to try to make some money, and I was a good teacher. And with Birds' Art Instructional Photo Tour being my own business, I've put a lot into it over the years. I try to visit places 
that are virtually guaranteed to have tame birds, lots of them, sort of almost photographic laboratories where the teaching is easy and folks can go, go home with some great results. Now, is it, is it absolutely necessary to have a lot of very expensive equipment to be you know, starting out as a bird photographer? No, not at all. I mean, lenses are tools. If you know how to use your tools and you're good at using your tools, you can make some great pictures. Uh, today, there's a bunch of great stuff available. Uh, Nikon 80 to 400 VR, 2 to 400, a little more expensive. The Canon 1 to 400, some of the uh, 70 and 80 to 200 millimeter lenses. If you know what you're doing and you're in the right situation, you can make some great pictures. Now, when it gets to making professional quality bird pictures. Uh, a lot of people, you, me included, use five and 600 millimeter lenses. What kind of timeline is involved from getting started and working with the one to 400s and lenses in that caliber and then moving up? How long does it take somebody to really move up to the big heavy glass and be able to use it well? Because it's not as easy as it looks. Well, I sort of got into this at the time when bird watching was exploding in the um, 1990s, and now bird photography has exploded along with it. So we have people that are just getting started, and they go out and they buy a $6,000 500-millimeter lens. And the learning curve, it depends on the person. Some people are almost natural. Other folks, it takes them a while uh, to get to make sharp pictures. That's the big challenge. And then separating the men from the boys, the little girls from the grown women, is when you start using teleconverters with the big lenses, the 1.4, the 2X, you have to have perfect sharpness technique and know what you're doing to make good images. Can you give people a quick tip for using long glass and getting sharper images? Well, the big thing is you need to keep the long lenses steady. The first requirement for most folks is to have a good tripod and a good tripod head. I use both the Wimbley head and the Mongoose uh, 3.5 with my big lenses. Second thing, and I've, I've, I've come away for years, people, the big advice was put your hand on top of the big lens, your left hand with your right hand on the shutter button. Last couple of years, I've been supporting the forearm of my left arm against the side of the tripod and supporting the lens from below, pulling down on the camera. I've always advocated putting your face up against the camera so you're one with the camera. Uh, but the big change for me has been supporting the camera from below with my left forearm, the inside of my left forearm against the tripod, uh, depending on the head. And that's a great tip for making sharp pictures. Excellent. Now, you wrote a book called The Art of Bird Photography, and it was published by Amphoto Press. I have it. It's a great book. Many people have heard me say it's the best photography book, period, whether or not birds are the subject. I understand that you have uh, got the rights back to that book and you're back in production on it. Yeah, we were shocked about a year ago to find out that Amphoto discontinued the book uh, after selling 30,000 or more copies. So we got, a, we got the rights from Amphoto and then it was sort of whatever can go wrong will go wrong, uh, dealing with some folks in Singapore who shall remain unnamed. We wound up going back to CS Graphics who originally printed the book for Amphoto and we're expecting delivery of 5,000 copies uh, in sometime in early October. In addition to the first book, you updated everything that you wrote there in a, a second book, and you took a very unique approach. You self-published this book, and you did it on a CD. Tell us about that book. 
I'm going to correct you just for a second, Scott. Uh, it's not really an update. The Art of Bird Photography 2 on CD is the all-new continuation of uh, the Art of Bird Photography. Uh, I like to say it's everything I learned about bird photography from 1998 forward till it was published in 2006, plus everything I know about knew about digital photography when it was published in uh, late in 2006. How many pages is that work? Well, we started out, I knew I wanted to write a follow-up book with main digital components, and it grew and grew and grew. It was four years in the writing, and when it got to be 916 pages, I knew that nobody could lift the book, so we did it on CD, and amazingly, in about two years, we've sold more than 3,500 copies, and I'm quite proud of the book and quite proud of the sales and the reaction the book has gotten. Well, we're out here in this beautiful, pristine wilderness. We're making great bear pictures. We've got some some bird pictures, and even whale pictures today. Uh, if people are interested in finding out more about your tours, where would you like them to go? www.birdsasart.com, and you can click on the link for instructional photo tours, and you'll find a schedule. Over the last few years, I've been cutting back on my bread-and-butter instructional photo tours, reducing group sizes. Just, I'm, it was just 62 uh, on Flag Day past. And I'm looking to take it easy a little bit and do some more travel and photography on my own. But there still is a chance to get a, a workshop with you if, if people want to. Yeah, I'm not as good at slowing down as I thought I would be. So we, we have a nice schedule for this year. I get to Galapagos every year. I still do Bosque del Apache every year. I have two workshops in Florida. And then some international travel. I did a Wild Britain cruise with Zegrams. <clears throat> I was in Antarctica in June 2007, so basically I've been just totally blessed, have a wonderful life, travel around, and do what I love to do best, photograph birds and, and, and nature. Now, speaking of birds as art, you have a bulletin that you publish. It's like an email bulletin, and I'm a subscriber. I get a lot out of it. Is that free? Yeah, the Birds as Art online bulletins are free. They go out now to almost 10,000 folks. And it's a blend of beautiful photographs with our legendary Birds as Art instructional photo captions, lots of great information, trip summaries. When I come home from an IPT or a trip like this, uh, there'll be a summary with photos, a nice little write-up on the trip. And then a blend of uh, advertising, product information, and tour information. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, Artie. Every week on This Week in Photography, we leave people with a general tip to just improve their photography. You've given us one tip on the on the long lenses, but what I, I really want to know, and I mean, you are the guy when it comes to bird photography, and a lot of people might be interested in bird photography or wildlife photography. If they're just looking into this for the first time, what's the single most important thing that you'd ask them to consider? Well, that's a tough one. I, I say on tours often, Everybody comes and they want to know the secret. The secret. What's the big secret? I just want that one secret. And I say, well, the secret is the only, there are no secrets. It's just attention to small detail. There are lots of things. The best advice I could give to beginners is to find a place where there are acclimated birds, birds that are used to humans. Get down to the beach. Find some gulls. Uh, places where the people are walking their dogs all the time. And get low. Move slowly. Get close to your subjects and make as many pictures as you can. Look at as many good pictures as you can. 
and see how your pictures stack up, and you'll get better very quickly. Anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off, Artie? I would love to, Scott. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. It's been great talking with you, great photographing with you. I've always enjoyed the time we spent together. And I just wanted to mention my newest baby. We started about uh, seven months ago, www.birdphotographers.net. It ain't just birds. Uh, it's a critiquing site. It's completely free if you host your own pictures or 20 bucks a year. And you can go and get your critique, post images, learning forums, and it's really a wonderful community. Our goal, my goal, the only way I got invited with this group was guarantee that we would offer honest critiques done gently. And we've really been working hard. It's, I've been involved in this since January, and I've done about 4,500 posts myself, most of them critiques of uh, images from anywhere from beginners to established professionals. So it's a rewarding place to visit, and I hope to see you there online. You all be good. Thanks, Artie. I'll be checking that. And also, I want to mention that Artie regularly gets paid quite a bit of money to do critiques. So if you should be lucky enough to get a critique from him on this forum, uh, it just makes it all the more worthwhile. Thanks very much, Artie. Arthur Morris is the owner of Instructional Photo Tours. He's the leader of many important workshops. And you can find his free bulletin at birdsisart.com. Also, check out both the original Art of Bird Photography and the Art of Bird Photography, too. We're going to have links to all this at twipphoto.com because we want to make sure you guys know how to get in touch with Artie and take advantage of his kindness in offering this free information. Appreciate Arthur taking time to talk with us. You really should check out his website. The guy's amazing. Uh, he, he's, he's odd. I'll just say this. He's, he's eccentric. <laughs> Man, he is talented. Uh, like me, a lot of people either love him or hate him, but I love him. He's a great guy, and I, I'm thrilled uh, to be able to work with him. And I got some great news. Uh, he's invited me to come down to Florida in February for his annual big week-long bird Florida trip where we go to like five, six, seven cities where all the great birds are, and we're going to take some pictures together again. So anyway, thanks to Artie. And, and the guys want to ask some questions about my Alaska trip, which we'll get to. But I, I want to mention something before we do that. I really want to take time to say thank you to Drobo. They are the sponsor here at TWIP. And Data Robotics likes to make everything simple for its users. They have <laughs> the simplest user manual I've ever seen, guys. It's like four instructions printed on the back of the faceplate of the machine. <laughs> it's basically, Isn't that the way it should be for all of this stuff? Yeah, you, you plug in the Drobo to power outlet. You plug in the USB or the FireWire cord, depending on which version you're using, and you plop in some drives. That's it. It's installed. Now, to make it talk to your computer, you configure it with either DroboShare, which comes free with the product, or with your partitioning and disk drive monitoring system built into your OS. Now it completely is done, and it works. It's the simplest to use RAID-like because it isn't RAID, but RAID-like device in the world. There's no partitioning. There's no trying to you know, build all these separate deals that will heal if something breaks. It just automatically does everything for you. If you're like me and you're not a disk drive technologist and you're not a, an IT person, but you do want to know that your stuff's backed up and that you have redundancy in everything that you do, you want to take a look at 
the Drobo. Five lines on the inside of the faceplate. I said four. It's five lines on the inside of the faceplate is all you need to know. If you're intimidated by stuff like this and have stayed away from it because it's tough, this ain't tough. Uh, as Ron and Fred will attest, if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just that simple. They should print that on the box. If Scott can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah, that, that really is. I mean, the Drobo protects against hard drive failures. It's expandable at any time. And here's the one thing that really sets it apart. It can even use different size hard drives. Throw a 250 in there, a 750, and two one terabytes if you want. No RAID system can do that. It's the easiest storage device ever created. And just for you, if you're a listener to TWIP, you can get $25 off the purchase of a Drobo, either first or second generation. Now, by the way, there are very few of these USB-only ones left. They're a little cheaper, and they're going fast. But you get $25 off either one if you simply mention us at TWIP. And here's how you do that. You go to drobo.com slash TWIP, and that's all you have to do. So thanks to Drobo for helping us make the show possible. Now, I did go to Alaska, guys, and I went up photographing uh, primarily grizzly bears. And I have to say, it was probably one of the most rewarding trips of my life. So um, that's why I've been gone. And I apologize for not being on top of everything. But Aaron did a pretty good job of keeping the blog up to date. And I haven't been as available as I'd like to be. But, you know, y- you've never seen a fat man run so fast from a grizzly bear. i got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So what? What's the big, the big uh, adventure or event that sticks out in your mind from that trip, Scott? Oh gosh, um, I have to say that it's not particularly related to photography, although photography was part of it. It was just I came away with a sense of peacefulness. Um, you know, I didn't have access to a telephone, a fax machine, the internet, a television, a radio. Um, there were no media inputs coming into me, and that is so different than my real world where I get thousands of emails, faxes, and phone calls a week that I found myself just sitting on the boat one day realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have a question for you, Scott. So being, being that you were so close to Russia, do you feel like you, uh, you, you, you picked up any of the Russian language by just sort of hanging around in Alaska? I you feel like you could be a vice president. Stop it. I'm going to get email because of you. Stop it. Stop it. I'm not going to mention anything about pigs with lipsticks or anything. I, I, did, I did not. However, because I was up on Mount McKinley for a few minutes, I am an astronaut. Uh, no, how, many, I mean, how many hours a day were you out there shooting, though? Were you out well, there... It's very different each day, and I'll tell you why, Ron. Weather in Alaska, let me tell you, this is something that I really learned being up there in the, in the bush. Weather in Alaska is the most dominant thing in Alaskan life because it is, it is dramatic and drastic and changes hourly. So the weather really runs these, people, these people's lives. Everything they do depends on weather. And where we were, we would go from, you know, uh, 59, 60 degrees and sunny to 35 and windy in an hour. Mm. And then back up to 55 and sunny. <laughs> so yeah. the first day we got there, we had wonderful weather. It was a, a high overcast, which is perfect for bear photography. The last thing you really want with bear photography is sun because direct sunlight on that fur, your choices are pretty limited. You end up with you know, either blown out highlights or, and specularity or blocked up shadows that are unprintable. But we had this great light, and so we spent about three and a half, 
four hours on the beach away from the yacht. Um, we took a skiff every day from the yacht to the beach where the bears were. We would walk up these rivers that were salmon rivers until we found the bears, and it wasn't all that far. And uh, so we spent about four hours that day. The next day, we spent 12 hours, and that was a little wow. arduous. Yeah, I mean, they gave us uh, some some, you know, nutrition bars. They ended up... Uh, bringing us lunch, which was nice. They they brought lunch from the boat over on the skiff, and we had a, a lunch break, which was kind of funny because we did it right while the bears were all sitting down eating their salmon. So it was like everybody kind of ate together. <laughs> but, you know, you had to go to the bathroom in the woods, and that was kind of scary because they always told you, well, these high reeds are part of the bear trail, so be careful. Well, Unless you wanted to pee in front of everybody, you had to go into the bear trail. And you're like, okay, now which am I more concerned about, being embarrassed or being eaten? (laughs) 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 So that that, that was it. But, yeah, we were at times literally surrounded by grizzly bears. And we only had two instances where they, you know, got snarky with us. But uh, the rest of the time it was like they couldn't care less. They were just too busy eating and boy they were all fat which the biologists were all excited about because last year there was a bad year and this year the the berry crop was good the the salmon have run so the bear's bellies were literally dragging on the ground in some cases wow so now this was the first time you'd really gone out and done a major sort of expedition with your new nikon setup right yes sirree i mean uh, any thoughts did you did it do well compared to you know how you've been with your canon well, the camera performed beautifully. The, the operator wasn't so good. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have 17 years with Canon. I don't have to think about how it works. And, you know, I'm still, you know, I haven't shot as often with the Nikon as obviously with the Canon. And I had to think a little bit about how does this happen or what button is this. And there were a few times I was a little frustrated because I didn't know the answer. But I got the shots, so that's what counts. But, yeah, the equipment in very tough conditions. I mean, we shot a lot in the rain. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I used the Think Tank Hydrophobia rain cover, and I want to give props to that because it, it's nearly perfect. I got a couple of suggestions to them to change it, but it certainly kept the water off. And, uh, you know, it would rain and then it'd be sunny. It would rain and then it'd be sunny. But, uh, yeah, the gear performed well, and, I, you know, we had to wear wading boots because we were literally walking through these rivers. And Oh, and by the way, if you think like a foot or two feet deep of water is no big deal to walk across, think again. In Alaska, that thing could be running like 70 miles an hour and knock you on your butt. <laughs> so that was challenging carrying the gear over that. I did have some help. That was good. But, uh, yeah, the main thing was just to sit there in the peaceful nature and realize, you know, we were surrounded by birds. We saw fin whales, orca whales, gray whales. Uh, we were on the trail of a moose. We never saw him, but we saw his footprints and his dropping. So we know he was close. Uh, 21 different grizzly bears and one black bear. Um, bears ranging in age from about two years to 12 years. We did have a couple of sub-adults. One gave us some trouble, and then we had one sow get kind of hissy with us because her cubs walked right up to me. Mm. And I was trying to say, Ixnay on the coming near me, eh? But uh, (laughs) (laughs) the cubs walked up to me, and then I actually have a great picture of the sow actually, you know, snorting at me and hissing at me. But then she walked on by. That's good. So, so, yeah, I guess the other big question is uh, where, where and when do we get to see some of these pictures? Well, I've already got a couple up on the blog, twipphoto.com. I'm running my diary. So the second installment uh, f- that I've put up since I've been back went up today, and the last installment goes up tomorrow. And there's a pic- picture from yesterday and a picture from today. I got some pictures of the setup on Flickr. I'm putting together a slideshow. I got 25 photos that I really 
think are probably the best that I like out of all the hundreds I shot that I'm putting into a slideshow that I'm going to put up on Vimeo. And then I'll put some of the better shots up on my faux trade portfolio. So they'll be filtering out. But literally, I got back last night. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I did some of this from the Anchorage airport. I haven't taken these photos and done anything with them. The ones I've posted are right out of the camera. So I haven't even adjusted them or anything. So uh, it's it's been challenging. I will have to say that my system worked pretty well in terms of shooting, pulling them into apertures, selecting the ones I want, creating libraries. That all worked well. I backed up everything on USB hard drives that I carried with me because I was paranoid. Um, mm-hmm. And I, in fact, brought so many compact flash memory cards that I didn't erase them. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so I have the compact flash version, the version in Aperture, the Aperture Vault that sits on the backup USB drive, plus raw versions of everything on the USB drive. So I have it just about every way I could want. So I do advise people on these big trips, make sure you have lots of backups. There was somebody there with one of those little you know, media players, an Epson P5000. So I, and that's not the current one. The 7000 is the new one. I play with it, but boy, those things are still too slow for me. I don't know if you guys have ever used one, but you have to to try to look at your image. It takes just takes forever. Yeah, it's been a lot of years. I had one, you know, something like that many years ago, and it just felt sort of cumbersome. Yeah, yeah. The uh, there were the, the main thing was you know being willing and able to shoot in the rain because there's a lot of rain up there in Alaska, and that creates some challenges because well you don't have much contrast. And if you're using high ISO and there's not a lot of contrast, you know, everything from autofocus problems when it's not high contrast down to getting good enough detail, uh, those were some of the issues. I was particularly interested in experimenting with the 1.7 teleconverter on the Nikon 2-400, to and it did a good job. It's, it's for a 1.7, I was surprised at how sharp it is. You do lose a little bit of detail, though. Hmm. So... Um, I shot without it and compared it, and uh, I wanted to take my 600, but it arrived the day after I left for Alaska. So oh, it's just, Nikon just started shipping. They just started shipping the uh, F4 uh, VR. I'm sorry, the VR 600 millimeter lens, and um, I just got it the day too late, so I couldn't take it. Yeah, got to go back. Got to go back. Yeah, uh, we were in Geographic Harbor and. Uh, Kinnick Bay, and we were about two bays over from where Timothy Treadwell found out that you can't make bears into humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in fact, my float paint plane pilot on the way out to the yacht was the guy that discovered Timothy Treadwell. Oh, geez. Wow. He's in the movie, The Grizzly Man Diaries movie, Willie. That was my pilot. He's a real character. Guy, man, those are, oh, the, the seaplanes. You guys ever ridden in those? No. No, I've never. Check this out. When you, they were so good at this. When we landed and took off, I didn't even know what did happen. Really? The transition from being on the water taking off to actually taking off was so smooth that I didn't know we'd taken off. And, and more wow. surprising, when we landed, I had no idea we'd landed. You know, I thought I'm, I'm, assuming the, I'm assuming the water was reasonably calm, though, in that case. It, it was. Both times we landed in, in what they call, I've learned some sea lingo here, inside and outside. Inside is when you're in protected areas like bays and harbors. Outside is when you're not. And yeah. boy, let me tell you, we spent some time outside in some six-foot swells. I liked inside way better. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get some great shots of a juvenile 
black-legged kittiwake. And those of you who aren't birders won't know what this or care, but that's a tough bird to photograph. And I got some great shots of him. Also, a storm petrel who had the guts of Muhammad Ali. This is a little bird about a third the size of most of these gulls that were following our ship. We were chumming some. We, we caught a shark and cut it up and we're throwing it out there for the birds because we were actually looking for halibut. And by the way, I ate real good on the trip because we were eating halibut three hours after we caught it. But wow. um, I'm throwing the shark out there. We, some, we took turns. And this little storm petrel was coming in there and just getting his butt beat up by all these birds three and four times his size. But he was so fast, he'd zip in and get the meat before anybody else. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. And I'm going to put some more stuff up about it on the diary. And uh, anybody has questions, they can email me. I'll try to answer them. But it's, you know, if you're a photographer, it's good to get out and do a big trip once in a while, whatever your subject. And um, I want to encourage everybody, including my castmates, Ron and, and Fred, Get out, you know, plan plan a big trip next year where it's just you and your photography. It's 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 life changing. I have to say, I I got real philosophical on this trip about a lot of things. It gave me a lot of time to reflect about my work and my life, and uh, it was really good for me. And I, I hope you guys get a chance to do something like that. I absolutely want to do that. I, it's you know, it's one of those things that's on your to do list that you uh, keeps moving to the bottom. You know, it's yeah, uh, it's hard. Time to move right. to you the top. Gotta- yeah, you just got to force yourself to do it. That is very you know what? True. We sh- we should do it together. I'm uh, all for that. There's there's an idea. We should that we should, me you, Ron you Fred. We should get Steve and Alex, and me. We we should go out and say next year we're going to do a trip together. Yep. And we just you know pick something we can agree on. We'll all go there. That'll be fun. I'll come there. That. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking. I'm thinking Madagascar. Wow, <laughs> that's ambitious. Uh, I want to see, you, I wanna see the you, lemur out there. Are you buying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, I'm uh, thinking that an Adobe sponsorship would be excellent yeah, in that case. I think yeah. an Adobe sponsorship. Yeah. No, we could. We could, we could actually. You know what? We could go. We could all meet at Yosemite and have a heck of a trip. There you go. Good. I mean, that's close to San Francisco, and uh, that's where most of the cast is. Steve probably wouldn't mind getting out of New York City for a chance to be in Yosemite. And um, you know, I think, you know gonna, what, I, I think I'd opt more for Death Valley. Yosemite, I'd see the, uh, there'd be the, the ghosts of Ansel Adams all over the place. Yeah, that is intimidating. I've, mm-hmm. I've, shot, I've shot there a lot and realized Ansel Adams I'm not. Exactly. But, <laughs> and everything, everything you shoot there will be compared. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, let's move on to listener questions. Yep. Um, so, la- let's see. Somebody suggested last week that we poll the listeners for the percentage of keepers versus throwaways. And um, yeah, this was this was kind of interesting. It was just you know it was kind of a toss off question. Uh, somebody had asked about you know what's your percentage of keepers, and uh, you know some of the, one of the person that asked the original question said something like they got. You know, thirty percent keepers or something. I was like, yes, that, "That's if you're doing that, you're doing well." So we kind of, you know, had a lot of feedback when we posted that episode about people, you know, what what their keeper percentage is, and uh, it kind of ran the gamut. Uh, you know, I see numbers in here that range from about one to one percent up to uh, looks like fifteen, twenty percent. Yeah, I, I I now see what that was all about. I wasn't here, so I didn't understand what that was about. But now I I, I see, and that's that's kind of interesting. So, uh, Fred, what was your answer? It depends, and it's it's ways. You know, if you're if you're out shooting a particular job, you may shoot more on 
you know, say shooting a model than you would, you know, if you're out just doing happy snaps. So it, you know, it, there, I don't think there's one tried and true, here's the percentage, but, you know, it's just the, the short of it is it just depends on what you're shooting. Yeah, I, that definitely, the contextual is important. When I was shooting the birds off the back of the boat, my keepers were about 4%, but that's because we were in six-foot swells. Uh, <laughs> but I was, I was pretty high. I was running about 50% of the bears. Wow. That's great. It was, they were close, though, so that helped. Um, yeah, I could shoot a right. couple hundred images of a, of a model or something in a shoot, and I might get two or three, you know, so... Oh, that's me. <laughs> it also depends on on how how hard you are on yourself. You know, so. Well, let's move on to a question from Rob Spence. I came across a website, OSHA.com, O-O-S-A-H.com. I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced. They promise one terabyte of free online storage. My first thought was that this could be a good way to back up photos while traveling in case my memory cards or laptop were stolen. But then I read their terms and conditions, the legalese, and came across the ownership of content. And it said, you retain all ownership rights in your content. However, by posting content to OSHA, you automatically grant and you represent and warrant that you have the right to grant to OSHA and its successors are irrevocable, perpetual, non-exclusive, assignable. Royalty-free, worldwide license to use, copy, perform, display, distribute these images. In other words, you're basically letting these folks take your images, sell them, change them, do anything they want with them in return for using that one terabyte of storage space. It looks like a, a decent service for the price since it's free. Is that something you would use? Heck no! Well, you know what I would do is I would uh, encrypt the images before I put them up there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, Rob, these people are trading one terabyte of storage in return for full rights to your uh, stuff. I don't think that's a good deal at all. What do you guys think? No, not a, no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, it's like I said, I mean, if I could, you know, if I could encrypt it, put it up there and think that they couldn't get it, then that's one thing. But, uh, you know, why, why would you give that kind of stuff away? I, I can't come up with a price point where that makes sense unless it's something you just absolutely don't really care about. I suspect... What this is, is it's just a dumb lawyer uh, sort of thing that got stuck on the end of this. And that enough people either not go there or complain about it that it will get changed because we see this happen a lot. But, uh, you know, I, I, there, there is certainly value for online storage. And I don't think that anybody has come up with the clear winner for, for where everyone would go for that. So it's good to watch it at least. Here's a question from Josh Carter. I saw the movie War Photographer and loved it. Can you guys mention some of your favorite or best photography movies, documentaries, magazines, DVD, field tutorials, etc.? Well, that's a cool question. That's, uh, that's one I heard. Aaron sent a, a note saying that he recently saw At Close Range and thought that that was a good movie. Um, Ron, do you, do you have any Boy, ideas? Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I can't... Uh... I don't actually have one that I can pick up. I have I have actually looked at the uh, the at close range one that Aaron suggested, uh, and it's very cool. It's a National Geographic documentary about getting up and close to that. I mean, it, generally, the, the stuff I've seen uh, that I find really interesting is if you go look at some of these nature documentaries like that, uh, and especially if you get a DVD of it, you'll find on the extras sometimes that they have more of the behind the scenes part of it. Yeah, you, can, you know they sort of move the move the camera around as opposed to showing what the subject of the documentary is. They move the camera around to the side, and you can see the photographers working, and that's really cool. So I would definitely, you know, if if you pick up 
the Planet Earth series was was a great one, for instance. And I know that had a couple of making of pieces on it where you could see what was going on there. Well, yeah, I I wouldn't have any fictional pictures in mind, but I tell you, anything from National Geographic video is good. So I tend to watch all that stuff to get ideas on locations. I look at it as location scouting. Yeah. I look so at it as, be, don't, I, don't I wish I could go there location scouting? So what I want to do is open up the answer to this question to our audience. Uh, send us an email, twipphoto at gmail.com, and let us know what your favorite movie is related to photography. That's kind of a cool question, and we'll, we'll bring that up uh, later. We've got time for one more. This is from Ryan. Quick question about the process you guys to import photos. They always say use a card reader. So I know you can't mean fumble through, explore, or find or pulling 15 photos out of each folder on the card. That would take forever. Do you use any type of software to do this, or are you just using Aperture Bridge Lightroom? I like how the Canon software puts my pictures in folders by the date they were taken. Thanks for the show. Well, the quick answer for me is programs like Lightroom and Aperture um, will allow you to upload pictures one by one or everything that's on the card. Um, and you can build automator actions, for instance, uh, at least in Aperture, that would allow you to create smart folders and stuff uh, for import. Um, but workflow. I don't think you have to do automator. I think that by default, there's some settings for you know import and rename by date and that well, kind of stuff inside. Yeah, of you can. Right? You can, but I don't believe that it'll create numerous folders for you. Is what I'm getting right. at. It will create right. one folder for the import, or you can import into an existing folder. But I think in order to create multiple folders, you'd have to do some sort of automator action. And I could be wrong. Uh, I know a lot about Aperture, but I've never tried to do this. So I don't know, and I don't know what Lightroom will do for you. Um, but the question was, what do you guys do? Well, what I do is I simply get you know, all of the stuff off of the card into Aperture using a folder import action that I have. So I import the whole folder, and then I rename and, and, and do the image naming convention on import, which really helps me a lot. And I usually will assign a date and location name uh, instead of the usual DCIM 2395 or whatever you would have. And then from there, I create smart albums and, and break the project down depending on uh, you know, keywords and ratings. What do you do, Ron? Yeah, I, I, um, the first thing I, I do is bring them in and have them renamed by date just so it's really easy to look at a file name and see the date on it. I tend to... I think I put we, we did a blog post on this really early on in the Twip blog of sort of what my workflow was and my whole That's thing right. is yeah, yeah I, you know I don't uh, people can go back and check that one out but bottom line is I kind of don't like to completely rely on any piece of software to organize my stuff for me so I will generally make sure that when I'm done sort of putting things into where I want it that I will move things around so that the directory structure reflect, reflects my kind of personal naming scheme and I tend to just break it into three categories of you know here's my my favorites here's sort of my mid-range ones that are decent uh, and then here's the the throwaway ones although I generally don't really throw it away I just sort of say these are the ones that I don't like but you never know I don't want to get rid of them yeah well, that's a good question. I hope that we answered it for you. Uh, I'm sorry that we don't have time for more. We, we get lots of questions we can't answer, but we do use them to frame our opinion of how the show should look. So keep sending them in to twipphoto at gmail.com. Also, feel free to leave show ideas up there on the delicious tag, which we detail how to do on the blog. 
Now, next week, Ron, uh, we're going to have Alex back. We're working on a special guest. We'll know more about that. Unfortunately, we lost Fred to Skype, so it's just me and you to say goodbye on the show. Um, I do want to quickly give a tip related to uh, my recent trip uh, shooting bears. If you're shooting wildlife and you chase it, you end up wasting a lot of time. <laughs> Not only is yeah. it dangerous, but uh, the, the animals tend to be more afraid of us than we are of them. And in the case of bears, I found that if you pick a good background and you stay there and you wait, the bears, in particular up at Geographic Harbor and Kanak Bay, would circle. They would circle through a routine where they would walk up and down the river looking for fish and then come back around through the brush and do the same thing over and over. So if you picked a spot with a good background, you could pretty much guarantee yourself that the bears were going to walk through there again. However, as the bear moved down the river, if you try to get in front of it, not only are you going to impede its progress and risk your life, you're also going to be messing with you know the whole biology of how the bear hunts and what he needs to do to stay alive, which isn't cool at all. And you're probably not going to get great shots because eventually you're going to scare the bear away. They'll just give up and go to another river. So be patient. Let the wildlife come to you. And you can probably apply this to almost any other subject. Find a good background first. That's the real tip here. Wait for the subject to be in the background and blast away. Very good. Yep. So that's it. Uh, I know that Fred Johnson would... uh, have you probably check him out over at Adobe. He's in charge of the Lightroom project there. Uh, and also Frederick Van, I believe, is his Twitter. Um, yep. Alex isn't here. You can find him at pixelcore.tv, pixelcore.com. And what about you, Ron? Uh, my blog is digitalcomposting.com. And I am on the Twitter as uh, Ron Brinkman, two ends. <laughs> Cool. Two ends. Don't forget the two ends. And you can follow me at uh, Scott Bourne on Twitter or go to scottbourne.com, which is my blog that has links to everything. And I do want to mention real quick that uh, over on the Aperture Nature Photography site that we're doing, which the shortcut to is f64.com, aperturenatureworkshops.com, we have winners in our first contest. And in just about 10 days, I'll be at the Grand Teton National Park alongside – several pros and the four lucky amateurs who won and we'll be taking pictures together and we're going to start another round of that contest in just about a week or so so you have three months on that one it won't be quite so rushed to get a chance to win a trip to yosemite in the snow so uh, look for that in the meantime that's all for this show once again thanks to our sponsors lens baby on the blog audible on the blog and of course drobo here on the podcast can't do it without them and we can't do it without you thanks for listening Until the next show, we're going to put the lens cap right back on.